So for Christmas in 2018, uh, I asked for a copy of a book titled The Wild Edge of Sorrow by Francis Weller. So my in-laws ended up getting me this book, and upon opening at Christmas, uh, they asked, Why, what is this book? Uh, to which I responded, uh, well, it's a book on grief. They then, rather puzzled, uh, asked, why in the world did you want a book on grief for Christmas? And I answered, well, grief is an inevitable part of life, and I would like to be repaired. My wife, uh, as she normally does, Rebecca, she kind of rolled her eyes at me, and her parents didn't really seem satisfied with the answer either. Uh, but we all kind of laughed about it and carried on with our Christmas celebrations nonetheless. Uh, however, uh, several months later, uh, Rebecca and I would be afforded the opportunity to begin practicing some of the things I'd learned from this book. We would journey through years of infertility and, as a part of that, uh, a miscarriage. It was a hard and painful journey. However, uh, it also ultimately began to help us understand what grief is capable of and ultimately how it can actually lead to growth. Now, before we begin uh, exploring some of the ideas about grief, I want to say up front that this is obviously an extremely sensitive and delicate conversation. Grief is complex, it's painful, grief is messy, and grief looks different for everyone and takes many different forms. And I'm sure that even today, some of us right in the midst of our very own heavy grief. And if that's you, if you hear nothing else this morning, we want you to know that we love you and we see you and we're with you. The reality is part of what makes grief so hard, but at the same time, so critical to our journey of emotional well-being, is that grief is an inevitable part of life and actually an extension of love. When we love someone or something, we immediately become susceptible to the grief of loss or change related to who and what we love. But what we want to consider today is that if we learn to enter into that journey of grief rather than resist or avoid it, grief, as hard and painful as it is, has the power to open our eyes and hearts even wider to God and God's love that grief and loss have the power to enlarge our souls. Pete Cazero's book outlines a few steps involved in allowing grief to do just that. So these steps uh, played a role in my own and Rebecca's journey. Uh, they can actually also be seen in the Bible and the story of a guy named Job. Before we get into those steps, though, uh, a couple more caveats I got to name. One, this is just a rough guideline to help us process our journey. It isn't perfect, and in practice, it isn't necessarily linear either. Uh, grief is messy, it's complicated and hard, like I said. So your journey may look and feel quite different, and that's okay. Two, uh, the journey of grief is never really over. There is no true destination to, uh, to this pathway. The grief of our losses is something we carry with us throughout our lives. But these steps can hopefully be a helpful guide in how we journey through grief in a lifelong way toward a deeper experience of the love of God. So the first step uh, that we need to do when faced with grief, and this is probably pretty self-explanatory, but we actually just need to pay attention to it, which means listen to it, feel it, acknowledge it, name it loudly. So this is an important uh, step because it's a necessary first step. And sometimes a step that we don't let ourselves take when we minimize, ignore, or suppress our grief. However, none of the other steps can happen in us if we don't first name our grief 
and allow ourselves to begin the journey. Not starting this journey ultimately deprives us of the opportunity to enlarge our souls. So we can see Job actually taking this first step quite clearly in, in scripture. For those unaware or in need of a refresher, uh, the story of Job involves Job, uh, a righteous, successful man going through immense pain and suffering. So he first has all of his earthly possessions stolen by his uh, invaders. Uh, Then his children are all murdered and ultimately his own health actually deteriorates. So the book follows his journey through grief uh, and experiences with his friends and his remaining family. So it starts as it should uh, by Job acknowledging his pain and suffering. So we read him say, may the day of my birth perish and the night that said a boy is conceived May that day, may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. So Job didn't ignore, minimize, or numb himself to his pain. And he didn't try to dismiss or rationalize it. He named it loudly before God. And he began his journey into that process. Seeing and acknowledging our grief is certainly important. But something else key, which I learned in my own experience, was identifying the true source of your grief. Knowing that sometimes it actually isn't fully clear what it is we need to be grieving. This can often be where a lot of us get stuck on grief. Maybe you want to begin uh, that journey and you sense its presence in your life. But barring any big catastrophic loss in your life, uh, it doesn't feel like you really have anything to grieve over. To be clear, Pete Scazzaro actually names this a little bit in his book. So he describes grief as the story of all of us. So there are, no, there are many different moments throughout our lives that can be construed as loss and therefore grieved. They of course uh, vary in intensity, but they are all grief and can be named and journeyed as such. So for Rebecca and I, uh, certainly, uh, we both certainly struggled with identifying our grief a bit uh, after the miscarriage. So one day, uh, shortly after, we went on a bit of a hike and uh, we were talking and processing. uh, And at one point, Rebecca lamented, why am I so sad? I never even met this child. To which I was actually somewhat relieved to have a bit of an answer for her from the book that I got for Christmas, The Wild Edge of Sorrow. Um, So Francis Weller writes that there are actually different gateways to access grief. Loss of a loved one is just one of them. While Rebecca and I could certainly identify that one, uh, it wasn't exactly the whole picture. Another gateway to grief is unmet expectations, meaning the joy that we expected to receive in parenthood had now suddenly been taken away from us. And that was more what we needed to be grieving than anything else. Once we were able to better name the source of our grief, it allowed us to more clearly point to where our pain was coming from, from each other and to each other. It allowed us to more clearly talk about it and fully pay attention to it. So what grief do you uh, need to pay attention to better today? Or what grief that you're fully experiencing, fully aware of, do you think you could do some work to better identify what it is that needs grieving? Grief is not a fast process. It will always be slower than we prefer. But waiting is actually required for grief to do its work. We see the struggle playing out clearly in Job, but not so much from Job as much as from his friends. 
So Job waited. Job had no trouble doing that. That's exactly what the book largely demonstrates. Most of the 42 chapters involve Job waiting in the midst of his heavy grief. We can more clearly see Job's waiting when we examine how his friends were reacting around him. So initially they arrived to provide support in his trying time, but it wasn't long before they couldn't wait any longer without trying to rationalize and explain away Job's pain. Attempting to resolve the unresolvable because they weren't content in the waiting. In Job 4, after one of Job's kind of step one lamenting tirades, uh, Job's friend Eliphaz couldn't help but blurt out in frustration toward Job, wanting to explain away his grief. He says, but who can keep from speaking? Eliphaz is essentially saying, listen, I think you have something, I think I have something that you need to hear. Have you heard that before when experiencing grief? It seems to be something people kind of jump to. Um, I think they're feeling uncomfortable at the sight of your pain, but that's not exactly fair, is it? He tries to justify his forthcoming rationalization of Job's grief, which ends up being this long-winded speech, essentially proposing that the suffering that Job is feeling could be his own fault, which from earlier in Job we actually know isn't true at all. But Eliphaz refused to be comfortable in the waiting with Job. And because of that discomfort, he ended up causing Job more pain. Is that something you've experienced before? Or is that something you've been guilty of doing before? Either way, I think it's an important lesson for us to hear. Grief cannot be rushed. And ultimately, it also isn't something that will ever go away, but something we'll all carry with us for the rest of our lives. However, waiting patiently in the confusing in-between is critical to allowing ourselves and others to truly grieve and for the grief to do its transformational work. Now I will name this step can be something that I think the church gets a bit wrong sometimes. I think far too often we simplify grief to, if I know the Jesus story ends in resurrection, why step into grief at all? That's just more avoidance, coming from a place of emotional immaturity rather than one rooted in how God wants to be with us and love us and transform us through our grief. So in John, uh, we read the story of Lazarus, where Jesus' friend Lazarus uh, becomes ill and ultimately passes away. Uh, if you don't know the story or are not familiar with it, it turns out that Jesus miraculously raises Lazarus from the dead, but not before he enters fully into grief, demonstrating for us this important aspect of what it means to be human. So in John eleven thirty five, we read that upon being invited to come and see Lazarus's final resting place, that Jesus wept. Jesus fully embraced his humanity. He felt all of those feelings, despite knowing how the story ends, that he'd be able to raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus fully processed and understood the loss. And his intense anguish enlarged his compassion and the compassion of all of those around him. For Rebecca and I, waiting was obviously a challenge. Struggling through infertility is already a hard waiting grief process. But I think what we learned most through it was as we wait not to process it alone. Francis Weller writes, grief is not a problem to be solved. It's a presence waiting for witnessing. For something that can be so slow and painful, 
to do it alone can be unbearable. For Rebecca and I, I think opening up after initial shock that resulted in silence from both of us really helped us to fully enter into grief rather than just hold in our feelings and avoid processing them. We really got to name to each other what we were feeling and consequently surrender it to God and then through it feel loved by him and by each other. That's kind of the point of all of this. Better sensing God's love in our lives. That isn't easy to do on good days and that is rather obviously harder, if not next to impossible, to do on our hardest, most painful days. But there's a somewhat key step to all of this. That's Cazero names. And that's acknowledging our limits and stepping into humility. So near the end of Job, as Job had journeyed long and hard through his grief, even wrestling with God throughout it, God's presence and power were revealed in ways that Job had never seen before. Through that encounter, Job sensed God's presence and love like never before, right in the midst of his grief, which ultimately opened his soul and eyes with awe and humility to a deeper experience of God's love. For Rebecca and I, Entering into humility and acknowledging our limits meant resting control of our situation to God and choosing to be content with the outcome, knowing that it's ultimately in his hands. And then because of that surrender, letting ourselves feel the full weight of God's love in our lives. It can be hard to arrive here for many of us. And the journey can be long, winding, unknown, and unique for different people and in different losses. But because of our hope in Christ, grief, loss, and even death do have the power to bring new life. So the book of Job consists of 42 chapters. It isn't until the final chapter that we truly see Job experience this step. So rest assured, the waiting can be long. But in this final chapter, Job responding to God says, my eyes had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Job emerged from his grief and his journey of fully walking through it truly changed. His perspective had radically shifted and he now fully saw God. That opportunity for us to fully see and understand God's presence in our lives is right there for us. But in our grief and loss, experiencing God in the midst of it often involves the hard, painful work of stepping into our grief, paying attention to it, waiting patiently in the confusing in between, and acknowledging our limits and stepping into humility until finally the moment arrives for us where it becomes clear what new will be birthed out of the old. For Rebecca and I, the new that was birthed was quite literally a birth with the birth of our daughter, Penny. She turns uh, two next Saturday. And while that's a beautiful moment in our lives and a beautiful birth, that isn't how that journey ends for everyone. But that doesn't mean that a new can't be birthed from the old. There are many different pathways for that journey to take, all of them beautiful, all of them valid, and all of them are birthed from the old the death, the hurt, and the pain that you're experiencing. That hurt is real and valid and hard. But if we go through our grief in a healthy way, it can birth the new. 
So where are you experiencing grief in your life right now? What would it look like for you to approach your grief in a more emotionally healthy way? I'll name that your grief probably looks very different than mine or than Job's or than Jesus's, either because it just is a different kind of grief or perhaps you're just at a different part of that process. Know that while my story so far involves a new birth ending, it isn't the only journey of grief I've gone through, and I'm probably in a bit more of a wait in the confusing in between right now in other aspects of my life. And that's okay. So whether you're just starting this journey out by paying attention to it, lamenting aloud, or even just identifying it, whether you're waiting in the confusing in between, hoping to have your grief witnessed and have it known by your community that you may feel the love that you're currently feeling as absent from your life because of that loss, or perhaps you're just starting to see and feel and understand your limits and trying to understand the humility that comes with those realizations. Wherever you find yourself, know that you're not alone. You're surrounded by a community of people who are called by Jesus to enter into that grief with you and who also all have their own grief to be witnessed. Ultimately, we can know that God hears us and sees us. And that while that we may not be through it yet, our stories are not over. And there will come a day, someday, when we're able to see the new birth and experience more fully than ever before God's love for us, as well as a deeper love for each other as we engage in the emotionally healthy journey of having our souls enlarged through loss and grief. Let's pray. God, the journey that we go through um, can be hard and painful. And we're so grateful that you actually know that so deeply with us and that your son stepped into that with us. That we're not alone in it because of both who you are, but also because of the community that you've surrounded us with in those moments and throughout our lives. So God, we look forward to the day where we get to see the new birth come out of that old, hard grief. And we're so thankful for the role you'll play in helping our eyes be open to your love for us in those moments, God. In your name we pray, amen.